If you enjoy these podcasts, check out Enrico Signoretti's reports and blogs on gigaohm.com. They're about data storage and cloud computing, addressing all the topics covered in Voices in Data Storage. Welcome, everybody. This is Voices in Data Storage brought to you by Gigaom. I am Enrico Signoretti, and today we will talk about in-memory storage. You probably already know, last year Intel presented a new product called uh, Intel Optane. Okay. This is something that sits in the middle between uh, traditional RAM and NAND. I mean, uh, it's cheaper than, uh, than RAM and faster than NAND. So it uh, fits exactly in the middle between the two. This opened up a lot of opportunities, both for storage vendors as well as for developers. So there are several form factors of this uh, new type of media. It is accessible as a traditional SSD, so via NVMe interface. It was also launched as a uh, DIMM, so you can you can install it in your server. Okay, of course, there are a lot of implications about uh, this new form factor, and uh, today to discuss about it, I invited Charles Fan, CEO and co-founder of uh, Manverge. Hi, Charles, how are you? Hi, uh, Enrico. How are you? Happy to be here. So, um, Memverge is one of the few startups that are now uh, working on building an in-memory storage system. Okay, in-memory storage is something that is really compelling. I mean, it's something that we started mentioning a few years back, but actually, the costs of putting uh, too much RAM in a single system. Uh, was, you know, was a little bit too much to make these systems available to the general public. Uh, Maybe Intel Optane will change a little bit uh, of the thing. So uh, before starting, uh, uh, before continuing in this conversation, maybe Charles, you can give uh, us a little bit of background about you and Mapverge. Sure, sure. Uh, so I'm a co-founder and CEO of Memverge, which is a software startup headquartered in the Silicon Valley. We started about two and a half years ago, uh, really on the thesis of a memory-centric data center and how storage class memory can be an enabler to make that happen. Um, Intel introduced their actually first 3D crosspoint-based product um, uh, two years ago, uh, uh, as an SSD, you know, as Enrico, you, you just mentioned. And they introduced the memory form factor, the DIMM form factor earlier this year in Q2. And and our software is built on top of this second product, this memory product. And uh, um, in, in, in fact, to take a full advantage of the benefit it has, number one, it is uh, much faster than SSD by a couple order of magnitude. It is really at a nanosecond scale in terms of latency compared to tens or hundreds of microseconds for NAND flash SSDs. Secondly, it's bigger. You can have up to three terabytes per socket with the generation one of this new memory, meaning for a two socket server, you can have six terabytes of this memory available. Uh, So we are basically taking advantage of both these benefits you know, a bigger byte addressable memory that is persistent and faster than storage itself. And we are creating a virtualized distributed software platform on top of it so that the existing applications as well as new applications 
can enjoy much bigger memory, much faster storage. At the same time, they do not have to change their existing application. So our memory virtualization platform essentially allowed that uh, to happen. Um, so that's in a nutshell what we do. In a, just to recap a little bit about IntelOptane. So uh, essentially, you can access it in two ways. One is memory mode, and the other one is uh, application mode. So can, can you uh, give us uh, um, some information about how it works, what are the benefits of one system uh, and, uh, and the other? Sure, sure. So, uh, so this is a pretty uh, revolutionary or disruptive technology uh, in terms of, uh, of being a persistent memory. You know, memory, as we know, are volatile, meaning you can allocate your data structure variable onto the memory. But if you power the machine off, all the data are lost. Um, to program a persistent memory, it, it can survive a power cycle. So if you reboot your computer, if you uh, somehow lost power to your computer and turn it on again, your data is still there. But the application will still need to find your data. So to allocate your data structure onto a persistent memory, you need to remember where it is after power recycle, which means you need to have some kind of a name which allow you to uh, find uh, where your pointer is at and uh, have a right offset uh, to that pointer. Um, and so, uh, so to program in its native mode, and I think what Intel calls it app direct or application direct mode, uh, essentially it requires a new API uh, for a developer to program to, which allows uh, these memory pointers to be stateful uh, so that you can remember where it is after a power re reboot. Uh, this is very powerful. If you design your application this way, you can potentially make the application faster and easier. But it also, for existing application, not the easiest to use. So for that reason, Intel introduced the second mode, which it calls memory mode. Memory mode is a backward compatible mode to volatile memory uh, or, or to DRAM. So in this mode, the operating system and the applications sees persistent memory just like DRAM. It, so it will have no persistence feature. And you can just use regular malloc uh, to, uh, to use this persistent memory. So existing application would just work, uh, except it sees a bigger memory. This memory is slightly slower than DRAM, but it's much bigger. So the, the bigger uh, memory applications can run better on this mode. But the downside of a mem memory mode is it doesn't have the persistence capability that the underlying hardware has. Got it. But in memory mode, you still have some uh, um, memory, some uh, run in the, in the system. So how did they interact? Right. Uh, yes. So in the uh, if you're using the Intel memory mode, it employs an algorithm it calls 2LM or two-level memory, which is essentially a memory caching algorithm that Intel implemented in their controller, uh, that it can use DRAM as a caching tier and persistent memory as uh, really the memory tier uh, to creating an overall volatile memory service. Uh, it recommends a one to four ratio between DRAM and persistent memory. So for example, if you have uh, say uh, 1.5 terabytes of persistent memory, then it will recommend something like 384 gigabytes of DRAM to also be in the system. And those will be 
grouped together through this 2LM mechanism and available in memory mode as 1.5 terabytes of combined uh, volatile memory available to the applications. Uh, you just mentioned a memory controller. Does it mean that uh, I need the latest version of Intel CPUs to, to make it work? Because the memory controller is usually, uh, you know, something that comes with the CPU. Yeah. So I think, you know, the first answer is yes. In fact, uh, uh, f- to support uh, the uh, obtain DC persistent memory, uh, you do need the latest CPU from Intel that they shipped also in second quarter. The code name is Cascade Lake, uh, or it's uh, like a scalable processor two or something, the, the official marketing name, that uh, this CPU or, or all the lo- later CPUs will support this new memory. Um, the second part of answer is the, uh, the memory controller I referred to was actually referring to the controller chip on the DIMM card itself. So it comes with Optane is, a, is this DIMM card. Uh, outside the card, it has a controller. It also has the media, which is a 3D cross point. Um, and so, so the actual algorithm are being implemented right on the DIMM card. But uh, the reason you need a new CPU is in order to support this new memory, Intel implemented a new variant of the DDR memory protocol. It calls DDRT, which allows the DDR, which allows the DIMM slots to support memory of different frequencies uh, for them to coexist together. Uh, peacefully together um, so that you can have DRAM, which is at a different frequency as the obtained memory to be plugging to the same memory channels that's connected to the CPU through DDR or DDRT. Uh, and, this, and this new CPU support DDRT and all future CPUs will support DDRT. And that's the reason you need a new CPU. I see. And uh, how do you implement uh, uh, Intel Obtain in your system? Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. So, so Intel, I think, are doing some groundbreaking revolutionary work with this new hardware. So the question is, what do we do? Uh, so most immediately, uh, we are developing a software we call distributed memory objects. What we do is essentially a virtualizer of the persistent memory so that we access the persistent memory on these servers in app direct mode in its native mode so that we can take advantage of both the persistence and the speed of the byte addressability um, of this new media. Uh, And then what we do is we present the memory and the storage interface to the applications that are both backward compatible to existing interfaces. So the benefit, we are like a translator. We are speaking this new language of persistent memory and we are translating to the existing language of volatile memory and persistent storage at the same time. And so that those applications can take advantage of both bigger memory and faster storage through these interfaces without rewrite or recompile their application. They can be deployed as is. So, so we basically serve as a translator to allow existing applications uh, to adopt this new technology in the easiest so, way possible. So uh, you, you have this, this translation layer, okay. And now I have two questions. One is uh, uh, about uh, uh, redundancy, and the other one 
is about the fact that you said you can expose different protocols on top. So it's a shared storage. Yes. So uh, maybe let me answer the second question first, and then I'll come back to the replication, the redundancy uh, question. So so we are not just a uh, storage solution that we offer. We are different from existing storage solution in that we are a converged solution of memory and storage. So we offer both memory API and storage API. And we are offering that not just on a single node, but on a cluster, a scale out cluster of servers uh, that we can scale up to 128 nodes. Um, and on the memory side, uh, we, uh, we have two methods how an application can use us. Uh, we can either, you know, using uh, the overloading method uh, by intercepting uh, the malloc functions of the application. So we can handle the memory allocation and deallocation for the applications um, on top of the, uh, the persistent memory and DRAM. Or if the user have control over their application, they can also link to our library and call our malloc function directly. Uh, on the storage side, similarly, uh, we can you know, offer a SDK for the application to call our storage read-write memory map files function directly, or we offer another two storage APIs. Uh, one is a locally, uh, locally mountable file, file system uh, so that they can see us just like a, a local attached storage. Anything that can write to a local file system can write to us, even though behind this local file system is actually our distributed file system across multiple nodes on top of the obtained memory. Uh, and in addition to this, we also support an HDFS compatible API. So for all the applications that's using HDFS, they can use uh, to the, the protocol to access us uh, directly as well. So, so these are the methods where uh, the applications can access us either in memory or in storage. Um, and then to answer your second question, that we do not uh, protect data for our memory service. The reason is we want to optimize on the performance side and we want to uh, you know, try not to slow down application uh, when uh, the application is running through us on the memory. So we are actually just handling the, uh, the, the allocation part of memory. We are not uh, really on the data path on the actually load store operation of the memory. And so we do not replicate or have redundancy of data across those memories. Uh, you know, other than what the application do themselves. Um, and on the storage side, we do support uh, uh, failure resiliency and uh, redundancy of data across uh, the media of different nodes so that uh, we can be, uh, uh, we can recover uh, gracefully from, from the failures. I see. There is a lot of uh, uh, to digest here. I mean, so you're talking about, uh, at the end of the day, a massive cluster, 100 28 nodes that share a massive amount of memory at the end of the day. And application can access memory C's at local, actually, but actually it's a distributed memory cluster. Or you can use the same uh, memory, the same uh, cluster to provide storage services. And they can mount them uh, as a local file system, uh, as HDFS, or uh, probably 
you can put on top NFS if you if you use these tools like Ganesha and other things like that. Okay, I don't know if it makes sense from a performance perspective, but actually theoretically you can do everything you want. Okay, because you have Linux machines in in uh, in uh, I suppose in. Uh, where you are installed. Okay, so th- this is really, really big at the end. So you, you can uh, really uh, change the way this kind of cluster are uh, designed. So the, the question that comes immediately after it, what are the best use cases? I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that uh, big data analytics is the first one. Yes, yes, uh, you are absolutely right. So in fact, uh, big data analytics are some of the first use cases that uh, we explore with our alpha customers and beta customers, and so are the machine learning uh, and uh, AI a- applications. Uh, we've been working with a number of customers on those. Uh, in, in short, uh, in terms of the uh, to judge what is the best use case using any data-centric application that either needs a bigger memory or faster I/O, are probably good candidates to be a good use case for us. Uh, most recently, in the last few months after Intel shipped uh, the actual hardware, uh, we have found the biggest traction with financial services customers. And, and uh, especially with the low latency, high performance infrastructure in processing market data and in support, you know, the trading applications. And those low latency and high performance infrastructure is where uh, constantly the application are pushing the boundary on the amount of memory it needs and how low the latency they would like the, the infrastructure to be. And uh, our solution offers order of magnitude improvement over the status quo, uh, you know, what's available between DRAM and NAND flash today. And I think with our system sitting on top of the storage class memory, that Intel pioneered really offer the next generation infrastructure for, for example, pop sub applications for financial data, for a market data replay, and uh, for the you know quantitative model of back testing. Uh, for these use cases, that we found a, a very good sweet spot uh, for uh, for this uh, solution. And what about the networking? Do you need uh, specialized hardware or just any rocky? Uh, enable the switch uh, yeah. work. So right now we support a uh, best uh, uh, Rocky uh, RDMA over converged Ethernet. You know, typically we do recommend a hundred gigabit network RDMA a Rocky network between the servers, but we have also worked with forty gigabit and twenty five gigabit uh, Rocky network. Uh, we we are working to support uh, InfiniBand and. Uh, um, and uh, the solar flare uh, type of uh, network uh, as well. And uh, and then if you are only using our solution as local memory and the storage, but not remote memory, that we can support 10 gig ethernet as well. Uh, so so it, it, we have a mode that it can work with just the 10 gig ethernet also. But to have a full feature of the product, we do support RDM. We do recommend RDMA networking. Yeah. Also. You know, looking at uh, a little bit uh, at the architecture and how it works, you know, ten gigabit doesn't uh, look that much. Right. I mean, it's uh, right. I, I think that that was just for some, uh, uh, you know, for some particular legacy environment. But to really take full advantage of storage cost memory 
and the power of this memory converged infrastructure that we deliver, uh, an RDMA would be the best networking for it. You talked about uh, uh, the first customer. So how many customers do you have now for this uh, product? Yeah, so we have uh, about a dozen uh, beta customers today. Uh, we are right now active, actively in beta testing. We are certainly open to a new beta customer to sign up. Uh, you know, certainly if you are interested, any listeners, just email to hello at uh, manverge.com and uh, we will uh, look to sign you up into the beta program. And among the dozen beta customers, uh, we have customers uh, in the financial services, as I mentioned, their banks, hedge funds, exchanges. Uh, we also have customers who are internet service providers or even cloud service providers who are who typically have the big data or the machine learning use cases in their environment. We also have some high performance computing and AI companies as our beta customers. So those are the uh, our initial sets of customers. So do, do you have uh, any uh, benchmark or maybe a real time comparison? Uh, sorry or maybe a real-world comparison uh, between an old configuration and uh, a man-batch configuration? Yes. Uh, yes, we do. And, and these are sort of the measurements we got from our actual beta customers. Uh, for example, uh, we have a use case in a recommendation engine uh, uh, with distributed training on a TensorFlow uh, framework. And uh, uh, before us, the customer are using the combination of DRAM and SSD on those servers uh, and HDFS as the permanent store uh, for this job, for this distributed job. Now replacing us, we uh, we basically replacing both the local storage and the HDFS and we extend the memory of such systems. Um, and we can improve the convergence of training of this recommendation engine by up to six times. Um, so this is an end-to-end -end, uh, training uh, uh, time. Uh, we have a significant saving. And we can also enable better fault tolerance of this distributed training by enable checkpointing of the memory state uh, onto persistence at in a more uh, free, uh, efficient manner so that it can be turned on at a, a more frequent intervals. Um, and this is because, um, you know, the superior memory to storage uh, speed uh, on a persistent uh, memory system. Um, so essentially, we have a, a speed up on the on the training, especially for models such as uh, recommendation engine, which tends to use a lot of memory space. And uh, we can really enable better uh, fault tolerance by more frequent checkpoints. I see. And... Uh... So you you are going uh, GA soon, I imagine, because we we met the first time a few months ago. And what will happen next? So what what can we expect from Memverge in the next uh, uh, version of the project? So what is your roadmap? Sure. So uh, uh, yes, we we are planning to GA our product in March 2020. So, so stay tuned uh, for our uh, launch announcement, which when we can unveil more details behind our product and sharing more customer use cases. Uh, and we have a very uh, busy roadmap uh, ahead of us. Um, you know, maybe let me first share the vision we have uh, of where we think the end goal is for, for our uh, solution. 
Uh, in our vision, uh, the future data center will be uh, number one, you know, more software defined. Whether you're talking about public cloud or private cloud, uh, the infrastructure will be more delivered through software. So it is more composable and more flexible to be used by the applications. Uh, and not only that, we also believe the future data center will be more memory centric, meaning with the emergence of storage class memory as enabler. We believe the memory tier will be much more powerful than the memory tier we know today. By the combination of DRAM and the new storage class memory, we will see the scale of the memory tier at hundreds times bigger than the memory tier today. And natively, it will have persistence capabilities. And with combination of software such as the ones we deliver, it can potentially make primary storage disappear, meaning the persistence capability for data can be enabled from the memory tier themselves. And we believe this is a fundamental and a big change to the data center with the disappearance of performance-driven primary tier of storage. And we think our mission is to create the software tier necessary on top of this memory infrastructure to make that happen. Uh, so that's a long-term vision we have, which is a software-defined memory-centric data center across uh, the public cloud and the private cloud and the disappearance of storage. Okay, let's say that this is a very bold vision, and uh, but, but yes. somehow I agree. I mean, uh, we will have uh, more and more uh, capacity in in terms of uh, also also in terms of protocol, it will be uh, developed on object storage and a very fast tier for uh, you know uh, uh, interaction with data. So probably it will be more and more um, the case in the future. Yes, yes. and uh, 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 exactly. I think we are uh, speaking on the same frequency um, uh, here. And, and then our roadmap is obviously a, a journey, a pathway towards this vision, which I think is going to take the next five to 10 years uh, to realize. Uh, and uh, the first version that we're going to GA next March will be just a, a first small step uh, towards uh, this vision. Um, now, even the first step will be quite powerful. Uh, as you mentioned, we're going to have a memory infrastructure that can scale uh, scale to 768 terabytes of memory. And we also support a second tier for the storage service. That's the SSDs. We can support, uh, you know, as low cost as QLC SSDs. So that means for a 128 node cluster, we can have storage service spending over 40 petabytes of storage. So, so while this is fast, this is also can be very big. So you can really handle the case of big and fast where you can have petabytes of storage at uh, nanosecond latency uh, available to the uh, applications. Um, and in the, um, on the roadmap, I think we're gonna gradually adding more data services available on top of this data, uh, you know, on this uh, journey to make uh, primary storage less and less necessary. Um, and uh, also we're gonna support uh, more hardware, uh, you know, as Intel introduced the future generation of the Optane memory and there will be other, we believe there will be other memory vendors who will be joining this market and delivering other um, storage class memories, and we will be supporting them as well. And in fact, 
that's going to increase the value we offer through this virtualization layer. Essentially, we can make uh, it, uh, you know, abstract uh, to the applications, whether uh, which whichever vendor are supplying the underlying uh, memory as well. So we're going to make progress on the software data services, uh, on the hardware support, and also to improve uh, the memory services we deliver and potentially um, creating better APIs uh, to support a future generation of uh, software that can be optimized for this memory-centric infrastructure. I see. That, that's, uh, again, um, a bold vision, uh, potentially great roadmap. So I'm... I, I will keep an eye on uh, you know the development of this platform because it sounds really really cool, and uh, at the same time I, I would like to share with uh, our listeners uh, a few links so that they can uh, dig a little bit more in your technology and uh, on what you do. So maybe you can share with us uh, your uh, social media handles and uh, the website for Memverge. Yeah, great. Uh, so, yeah, if you are interested to learn more, uh, come to our website, www.memverge.com, or come to our Twitter uh, with a handle Memverge, uh, and uh, also LinkedIn, you will find the Memverge uh, there as well. So look forward uh, to uh, share with you more about what we do. Fantastic, Charles. That was a very great conversation, and... Uh, that's all for today. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Voices in Data Storage, please check out the other ones. Unstructured data management is the focus of a report Enrica wrote for GigaOM Research. To find out more about how data storage is evolving in the cloud era, download the single report or subscribe to GigaOM Research for future forward advice on data-driven technologies, operations, and business strategies.